16 to 44 and 45 to 64, those productive ages, you see less and less men going to the doctors, 66 to 74. Then when it's almost too late, yeah, when they are now 75 and over and they have all kind of things along with them, that's when they now start going to the doctors and the women don't go by that time. And you, when you see two people coming into your surgery, husband and wife, and they are old, you know it's the man that the woman has bought. It's not the other way around, uh, you know. And uh, you, you just, yeah, she pushed me, you know, that kind of a thing. But it's not supposed to be so. These services are there for you to use. And please make use of the service. Once you are above a certain age, age 40, once you are above that, things start going down slowly. You take a longer time to digest your food. You take a longer time to recover from injury. You take a longer time to get refreshed if you've not, you know, had good enough sleep. It's not because anything is wrong with you. It's because the body has been going on for 40 years and it's now winding down in a way. So everything now takes a longer time. And that's the time you really, really need to go to your doctors and say, Doc, please, just check this out and make sure it's working well. Next slide, please. Okay. So to our topic, the healthy for a king. I'll be talking about your diet, exercise, blood pressure, diabetes, prostate problem, erectile dysfunction. Next slide, please. Your diet. The next 10, 15 minutes is quite important. Even if after the next 10, 15 minutes, you don't want to do anything, you don't want to listen to me, please listen to the next 10, 15 minutes because prevention is better than cure. So if you can do something to prevent ill health, then please do it. And so we come to, I have it here, eat breakfast like a king. Eat your lunch like a prince. And eat your supper or dinner like a pauper. What do I mean? You've heard the word breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And the teaching and the advice is try and make your breakfast the largest meal of the day. If you cannot make it your largest meal, make it the second largest. Only secondary and second to your lunch. When you have a healthy breakfast, it gives you energy for the day. Because you are going into the day, you need to be sharp. Kings, you know, why I said uh, eat breakfast like a king. Kings have to make decisions. Kings have to be able to react immediately to a lot of things that come their way. And when you are at work, you need to be you know, accurate and agile up there. You don't want to be sluggish in your decision making. And that's why you need, you know, 
a big healthy breakfast. You know the full English breakfast? That's something to say for it. A breakfast that's got loads of carbohydrate and protein mixed together is good for you. Not only oats and uh, those uh, Weetabix and everything, because yes, they are good, because you need the carbohydrate, is the cheapest source of energy for the body. And the body relies heavily on carbohydrates. But you also need the protein, which will make sure that after the carbohydrates, you know, have been broken down and have done the work that it's supposed to do, there is additional source of supply for your body, for your cells, for your neurons. And that's where the protein comes in. So your breakfast should consist of both the carbohydrate and the protein. Yes, a little bit of fat is allowed. You don't really want too much fat in the morning. Fat should be reserved for the lunchtime. But if you add fat to it, that's allowed. But make sure you have big, healthy breakfast. When I say big, healthy breakfast, it has to be big in relationship to what you are going to be doing that day. If you know you're just going to be sitting in one office, there's no point in having a big bowl of amala or pandediam or something like that before you go out. You know, we talked about your total calorie intake for the day. Okay. A lot of people ask the question, how much should I take? We tend to say women, you go between 1.6 kilocalories to 2.4 kilocalories in a day. While men, we go between 2 kilocalories, that's 2,000 calories to 3,000 calories. That's what you are supposed to. And then, so what you do is you kind of divide this out based on what you'll be doing during the day. You, if you know your job is just you go from your car to the office, you sit down in the office and everything, you don't really need the top end of the calorie. You need the lower end of the calories. So then you spread it out. You do 50 to 60% of your calorie as your breakfast or as your lunch. And then you do 30% the other way, whichever one you choose to be the largest or second largest. And then at night, you just take 10%. That's why I said, like a pauper. You know, we say in my local language, oh, Lord, beg you, know, that means you're not going, you know, to go farming at night. So when you are going to bed, that's not when to eat the typical African meal. But that's what we all do. Our plate is fuller at night than it is during breakfast. And we wonder why we all have pot bellies. You know? So please, eat breakfast like a king, eat your lunch like a prince, and eat your dinner or supper like a pauper. And you will live a healthy life. Next slide, please. Yep. Okay. We had the eat well plate. I'm sure you all have seen that before. And they just buttress what I was talking about. If you look at the big aspect of it, um, that and that, oh, ah, 
the green aspect and the yellow aspect, they constitute the large uh, you know, aspect of your plate. And that's the area for your fruit and vegetables and also for your carbohydrates, you know, your long chain carbs. We have two carbs, or we tend to say we have two carbs, the short chain and the long chain carbs. The shorter chain ones, which is like, okay, those down here in the purple section where you have biscuits and all those things, they give you quick burst of energy. They just give you quick, quick, quick burst of energy, but they add a lot of calories. And by the time you have them, within the next 10, 15 minutes, you feel hungry again. So it's advisable for your breakfast, you actually have those long chain uh, carbs that take a longer time to digest, but they give you sustained energy. What we also call, you know, low GI, which means it's spread out throughout the day. It just releases the energy little by little as you need it. Um, and also you have the uh, fruit and vegetable section. Um, the, should I say, violet or whatever color that is, it's your meat and protein. And then you have your dairy product on the blue side. Um, it's a shame this is, okay, oh, don't worry, it's dying. You have your uh, dairy products on this side, your food and drinks with high and short chain in the purple area, and then your meat and veg. You can see those proportions, you need to be mindful of them. This is the typical eat well plate, you know, here. But if you show me the next slide, it will show you how typical African male you can do your eat well plates. It's exactly the same thing, but just make sure the type of fruit and vegetable that is common with African, Afro-Caribbean, you, you have them there. Um, and you have your yam, your potatoes, you know, your yam flour, your other flour, uh, amala flour, and all those things. They are all there. They allow. Ground rice is allowed in the, you know, it's also allowed, you know. So, um, next slide, please. Okay. If for some reason you find out that you added the bulge, you know, you are just a bit around the waist, this is how you can lose it. You start by writing down what you eat. And at this time, you have to be true to yourself. Just write down what you eat. Because when my patient comes to me, this is what I tell them. Write down what you eat. You limit high-calorie beverages such as soft drinks. They are high-calorie, but you might feel, you know, oh, they satisfy my thirst. But the next 30 minutes, you are panting for more. Drink plain water. It saves you money and calories. And I said, cook your favorite food with less added fat. Nowadays, we actually advise people, you can cook your meal, you can fry your meal in extra virgin olive oil. Research has shown and studies have shown that the Mediterranean diet, which has large doses of uh, extra virgin olive oil, is actually good for the body, good for the heart, good for development. Because the olive oil, it helps to protect 
you know, it acts as antioxidant and also helps to protect the body and helps to absorb some of the vital nutrients that you need from most of this food. So, if you want to fry, you can fry your food in extra virgin olive oil and the, like you fry your fish and everything in extra virgin olive oil. It helps to make sure that the good nutrients is what you absorb. Things like omega-3 and everything, it makes them available while it blocks the omega-6. Also, if you want to use palm oil, yes, but the palm oil that we have over here, they are all processed, so they are actually not good. Uh, if you have the virgin palm oil, you know, it's actually quite good if you want to use that. You know, but as much as possible, if it's like you are trying to lose the bulge, then don't go haywire on cooking with fat. Just reduce the amount of fat in your food. And deal with your emotions. Don't comfort it. If you have any problems with your emotion, if you're feeling low, sad, although the Bible says don't be anxious about anything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgivings, Make your request known to God. So you are not supposed to be anxious about anything. But by adventure you find yourself in that situation where you are down, you are worried, you are anxious. Deal with it. Pray about it. Sing songs unto God. See apostles. See your leaders. Don't comfort it. Because once you start comfort eating, you are not going to be able to stop. And then you are just going to pile up the pound. So, when you've done everything on that side, what I then tell them is, make an appointment to see your practice nurse or the dietitian. Don't make an appointment to see your GP, because I have 10 minutes to spend with you. So, I cannot really go with you, you know, I cannot go through it. But the practice nurse has 20 minutes, the dietitian has 30 minutes to spend with you on your issues. So if you book an appointment with your practice nurse or your dietitian, they go through with you, and you can go with your wife, who is the one that's been cooking, so that you, both of you can get educated about what is best for you and what to cook and what not to cook. Okay? So when you've done that, then you come to this side of what you have to actively do again. Lose weight slowly. Make a plan to lose weight, but don't go, you know, haywire. Just take it out slowly, because if you lose it too fast, you're going to pile it up quite, you know, as fast. Limit your TV viewing time. I know at home, men are the champion with the remote control. Women like the telephone, we like the remote control. But reduce, you know, your limit, uh, your TV viewing time. If you are trying to lose the bulge, get regular physical activity. And I said, take charge of your health now and be proud of the beautiful individual that you are. Next slide, please. Yep. Exercise is fun. Find a way to do some exercise. First Timothy 4, 8. It says, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. So add that value from physical training into your life. It will benefit you. Amen. Next slide. Yeah, of course, not like him. You know, 
remote control on one hand, dove on the other hand. It doesn't do as exercise. You can see his belly and his backside. It's just, you know, he's going to keep on piling that with that type of exercise. Next slide. Exercise. Activities of moderate intensity. This is activity that will increase your heart rate, will make you sweat and feel warm. Not the one that will make you pant. If you want to go to the level of panting and everything, yes, high-grade exercise is acceptable. But if all you can just do is something to make you sweat, something to just make you feel warm, but it won't leave you out of breath, it's acceptable. 30 to 60 minutes of continuous activity. And some people say, oh, I walk. I walk with children. I'm always on my feet. I do this. Uh, uh-uh. That is not exercise. That's work. Exercise, you focus on the exercise, on that activity for 30 minutes. Continuous activity like that for 30 minutes or 20 minutes. Even if it's that you have to get off from the bus one or two stops from your house and walk to your house when you are coming back from work, do it and walk briskly. It will count as part of your activities. Even if it's 20 minutes you can do, start with that. One day you will be able to do 30 minutes, one hour. And I said, find a friend to join you. At least we are in summer now. You can get a friend and both of you can go out. It, it gets dark quite late now. Next slide, please. Okay. I hope... Okay, I didn't do it in 15 minutes. I did it in 10 minutes. But that 10 minutes, I want you to take note of it because that is what we are about in CFT medical team. We try to help you to prevent illness and disease. However, if for some reason you found hypertension, which is one of the main killers of uh, black people, which is complication. Hypertension affects every organ of the body. I've just, you know, delineated those ones. But when hypertension just means a high blood pressure, BP that is greater than 140 over 90, what it does is it makes the heart to now beat against a sustained high blood pressure. The heart is happy to pump the blood around, to pump your nutrients around at blood pressure of less than 140-90. 130 over 80, 130 something over 80. We tend to give a range of the top bit, 90 to 140, the lower bit, 60 to 90. The heart is happy to pump the blood around and supply the body you know, for 70 years at least, according to David. But if you continue now to make the heart pump the blood around at greater than 140 to 90, one day the heart is going to say, you know what, I'm tired, and it's going to pack up, and then some people, they get what we call heart failure. The heart can't pump the blood around anymore, so the blood now just stays in the lungs, 
where it's supposed to, you know, where it is. It stays in the lungs, it stays in your legs, it stays in the belly, in the liver. And there will be problem. But, if when the GP, next slide please. Oh, okay. Okay. Let's do some science. It's just science of how blood pressure, you know, uh, come to be. And unfortunately, this thing is not going to work properly. But I'm going to start from that man over there, the liver. When I was in school, we had this former saying that, is this what, is this edge worth living? And we say, well, it depends on the liver. And the liver, basically, is a very vital organ in the body. So it starts by producing a chemical we call angiotensinogen. The kidney supports it by producing what is called renin, which then acts on the angiotensinogen, and it breaks it down to what is called angiotensin 1. Angiotensin is just a word to mean angio means blood vessels. Tensing means vessels, uh, tension. So angiotensin just means something that increases the tension in the blood vessels. Okay, so angiotensin 1, when it gets into the lungs, is acted upon by a lovely enzyme called ACE, angiotensin converting enzymes, which converts it to angiotensin 2, which then acts on the adrenal, adrenal glands. They just sit on top of the kidneys to produce aldosterone, and the aldosterone then acts back on the kidney and on the heart. It acts on the heart to increase the heart pumping. It acts on your blood vessels to make them tight. It acts on the kidney to make the kidney absorb sodium in salt and water so that the blood pressure will be increased. If for some reason, there's too much of production of all these hormones, then it leads to high blood pressure because they are being produced. And the medications we use for managing blood pressure just addresses, you know, various stages of this uh, cycle. Next slide, please. Okay. Uh, that's uh, an Englishman checking the sweat of an African slave. You know, because uh, we have lots of sweaty salt or salty sweat. You know, we deal with salt differently. If you don't take anything out of this place today, another thing to write on your note, don't add salt on the table as a black man or black woman or white person, whosoever you are, salt on table is bad because everything we eat already has got salt in it and we try to reduce the amount of salt when you now add salt on table that is totally refined and it just go boom and it acts directly the other salt in the vegetables in the foods that you eat and everything your body has a way of breaking them down slowly so that it doesn't really affect you. But when you go, boom, direct load, it is bad for your system. Next slide, please. Okay. If you go to the GP and they find out that the blood pressure might be high, then they start doing, you know, those blood tests 
They check your blood sugar, your electrolytes, total cholesterol, united protein. I'll talk more about that later. Next slide, please. Okay. Over here, okay, let's leave that slide. Over here, we have, when you are 40 years old, or if you have a significant family of high God, significant, significant, significant family history of high blood pressure, is if in your family, the mom or the dad had high blood pressure, then you have a significant family history. Not necessarily, sometimes it's genetic, but sometimes it's environmental. It's because that is where you grow up and it's what everybody eats at home that you've been eating. And it's what you eat at home that you're going to carry about. Okay? So, if you have that, when you are 35 and above, go to your GP and ask to be checked out. If, if not... When you are 40 and above, when everything is slowing down, go to your GP and ask to be checked out. And it will check you on your blood pressure. If it's less than 130, 80, and every other thing is fine, it's recommended yeah, you get assessed every three to five years. But if your blood pressure is greater than 130, 80, we then says we confirm it over you no know, one month to two months with what we call ABM, that's ambulatory blood pressure monitoring, or your home record. Home record because we recognize the fact that some people when they come to the doctors, just for some reason their blood pressure goes up. We call it white coat hypertension. So their blood pressure goes up and because of that we want them to buy their own home loan is quite cheap just buy it and you record your own blood pressure at home what i advise people is over two weeks you record the blood pressure at least six times so each week you record it three days so one in the morning let's say we start from monday this week so you record it when you wake up in the morning just relax Drink your glass of water or whatever. After 30 minutes, do your blood pressure. In the evening when you've come back from work and you finish your daily activities, relax. After 30 minutes, do your blood pressure. Write it down on a diary. On Wednesday, repeat the same thing. On Friday, repeat the same thing. If you want to do it on Sunday, fine. But if you don't want to do it on Sunday, don't do it. Then the next week, repeat the same thing again. So that on the third week, you now come to me with six readings of your blood pressure at home. If at home, your blood pressure reading is greater than 125 over 80, most likely you have high blood pressure. If at home, when you are relaxed and everything, I have a blood pressure that high, what we tend to say is when you come to me, I then add 10 to it. So, 135 over 90, I start thinking, I need to treat you. And if everything, we have 130 to 139 over 80 to 89, we start asking you, you know, lifestyle changes. Are you able to increase your exercise? Are you able to watch your diet? Are you able to watch your weight? What are you able to do to improve your life? 
And then in three months' time, you come back to me, I assess you. And if with your lifestyle changes, you're not gaining, then we start discussing use of medication. But if when we do all those things, it's greater than 140 over 90, we start medication straight away. Next slide. Okay. This is a busy slide in a way. It's just about the medications that uh, we use to, to manage high blood pressure. But basically, you know, I was still talking about those cycles before. The medications, basically, they are divided to the one that stops the angiotensin-converting enzyme, you know, from working, or the one that stops the aldosterone from working or the one that just relaxes uh, the blood pressure uh, the blood uh, vessels or the one that just makes you weigh a lot so we tend to combine those things and research has found out that for blacks the first line of treatment should be what we call calcium channel blockers um, they are a group of medications that just blocks the calcium influx into the muscles of the blood vessels because the calcium in, in blood vessels just makes it tight. So when these calcium channel blockers in blacks, they found that it works better as first line for blacks. While, you know, while for whites, what is found to work better for them is what is called the ACE inhibitors, the angiotensin converting enzymes inhibitors. And then in blacks, we start, you, we start them on calcium channel blockers. If they cannot tolerate that, we go to uh, diuretics. And then if not, we go to the ACE. So that you don't look at what the other person is using and you go and start using the same medication. The fact that this guy or this white guy in your office is on this one does not mean you two should go and use it. Talk to your doctors, let them see you, and they will decide which is best for you. And if you are confused or you are not really happy about what your doctor has given you, just come back to Christ Faith Tabernacle International Church's headquarters. And you can talk to Dr. Shulemi, you can talk to Dr. Ajigini, you can talk to Dr. Wogu, you know. And if you go to the local headquarters, you can talk to Dr. Bogunjoko, and he, he will give you the right advice. I've got the mic. <laughs> Next slide, please. Okay. We move to the second most important, you know, uh, illness that is common in blacks. Okay, I've got about 10 minutes more. Diabetes. This picture just shows all the things involved with diabetes. Some of those things you don't see. Areas where if diabetes strikes, it can cause problems. It can damage the eyes, the brain, the heart, the liver, you know, uh, the pancreas, where everything is produced, and of course, the belly. And you don't really want to know the complications of diabetes. You don't really want to know. But we'll talk a bit about diabetes. Next slide, please. 
Diabetes just means you are not managing sugar properly. Whatever you eat, because as I said earlier on, sugar is the cheapest source of energy for the body. So everything you eat, the body tries to convert it to sugar. So he wants sugar at all costs because it's cheap for him to use. So sometimes if you have too much sugar, your body might be able to use insulin, uh, which is an hormone in the body, to convert the sugar. And sometimes it transfers the sugar and goes and stores it in the liver or in some uh, in the muscles as glycogen. Too much science. You know, but the body tries to store the sugar away. But there comes a time when the body will not be able to store the excess sugar in some people. Or some people, the insulin is not being produced. So we have type 1, where the insulin is not being produced. And type 2, where there is insulin, but for some reason, your body is not allowing the insulin to work. Because maybe you are too big. Or there are some chemicals in your body that's not allowing the insulin to work. But we talk about that. When you start getting symptoms like this, always tired, you know. Uh, some people will say, as soon as I sit down, I'm just dropping off. You're going to the toilet quite a lot. You're feeling thirsty quite a lot. You're losing weight, you know, suddenly, you know, significant weight loss when you are not planning to lose weight. You have a wound that is not healing and you're always hungry. You can't perform at night. You can't see clearly bloody vision. Uh, for women, vaginal infections, recurrent infections, numbness or tingling of the hands or feet, always thirsty. You need to see your doctor or speak to one of us. Because all those uh, features are things that point towards possibility of diabetes. And next slide, please. And when you talk to us or we, you see your doctors, then he's going to do your blood test. And we have some values that we look for. When we say fasting plasma glucose just means you've not eaten from 9 p.m. to 9 a.m., at least 12 hours of fasting. Drinking tea or coffee doesn't count as fasting. Okay? You have to be fasting, Esther's fast, as mommy will call it, not Daniel's fast. If your blood glucose is less than 6.1, we're happy for your fasting glucose. If you know, it's less than 7.8 when we do what is called OGTT, we are happy. But when you have been fasting, if your blood glucose is between 6.1 to 6.9, we say you have what we call impaired fasting glucose. It's not really in the diabetic range. Because before we say you are diabetic, you have to have fasting glucose of above 7 or random glucose, that means if I just take anyone amongst us who is not fasting, if your blood glucose is greater than 11.1, we want you to be careful and we'll have to check you to make sure you don't have diabetes. If you have those symptoms that was discussed earlier on 
and the blood level is greater than 11.1, diabetes is present. But if you don't have the symptoms and it's greater than 11.1, we will subject you to what we call two hours OGTT. But nowadays, we don't really do OGTT anymore. We do uh, something we call HbA1c, which is just down here. HbA1c just means glycated hemoglobin. That means how much of your blood circulating in you is carrying sugar. The sugar is not supposed to be coating your blood you know, easily like that. It's just a little bit. But if your blood is coated with a lot of sugar and we get a level that's above 48 millimoles, you don't really have to fast for this because this measures the amount of blood sugar in the body for the last two, three months. So that even if you know, oh, I'm going to do the blood test tomorrow and start fasting, you know, today, it doesn't matter. You know, it will still show me the level over the last two, three months. So if the level is greater than 48 millimole or what we call 6.5 percentage, um, then we say diabetes is on board. And we have to start thinking of uh, of managing it. Next slide, please. Okay. I talked about that type 1, type 2, and some of the complications, kidney failure, poor eyesight, and the, uh, the accompanying bladder hypertension, stroke, neuropathy just means the nerves are not functioning well, you know. A lot of people will just be having pains, which all medications are not going to be able to help, except some of those we call them nasty medications, medication for neuropathic pains. You know, it's all because the, uh, their nerves are coated with blood sugar and uh, uh, we have to get their blood sugar to be well controlled before their pain could be controlled. Um, next slide, please. Okay, management of diabetes, diet. You know, I talked about diet earlier on. In everything, diet plays very, very important role. And that's why, you know, I used the earlier part to talk about it. Then we put some tablets. Some tablets will help to make sure that the insulin in the body works. Now we have some new tablets that don't depend on the insulin channel. They work on another channel in the body to make sure that, okay, it can control uh, the blood sugar uh, better. And we actually found that they are working a lot better, you know, a lot much more better, much more effective, let's put it that way, than the old tablets we've been using. But a lot of research is going on. And of course, majority of people, we end up insulin. Virtually all diabetics end up on insulin. If they cannot control their lifestyle and general conditioning, virtually they will all end up on insulin. Next slide, please. Next slide. Okay. I think we uh, will go to the prostate. Okay. The next slide that is going to be shown will be about prostate. I mean, I have decided, decided that, okay, um, uh, we, we are doing men's fellowship, uh, light of the world, and we're going to talk about prostate problem. 
this thing. I don't like it. Pastors is just, you know, that almond, walnut shaped structure under the bladder. It serves very important, should I say, function in man in that it helps to produce the nutrients for the semen of man. It helps to make it rich. However, once you get past the age of 40, it starts getting big. And by the time you turn 50, virtually every 50-year-old, they've got enlarged prostate. What we call BPH. It just means benign prostatic hypertrophy. just means enlarged prostate. Majority of people, it will not cause any problem. And we don't have to worry about it. A few people, it will cause some problem. I'll talk about them later. I'll just add them together. 60, 70 year olds, some of them will have prostate cancer, which is the second commonest problem with the prostate. The third one is prostatitis. But we will not talk about prostatitis today. We'll talk about this, the two, BPH and um, you know, prostate cancer. Um, Next slide, please. This is BPH. When you look here, you know, I'm sure we all know that size of that little, little foot. It's just there. And there is a straight opening through it, which is the opening of the ureter, uh, you know, and it doesn't do anything. But because of where it is seated, seated under the bladder, and it's also got that little tube, you know, through it. So when prostate gets big, it increases in size and in cellularity. You know, so combination. So it not only pushes inside the bladder and causes the bladder to now, inside of the bladder to become convoluted, and then you now have urine being stored in the bladder. When you go and wee, you don't finish weighing, you feel like, oh, you finish, but as soon as you come back to sit, you feel like you want to go again. It's because there are some pockets in the bladder where urine have been stored because the prostate is pushing in and it's caused some little, little hole, you know, pockets in the bladder. Um, sometimes it causes irritation of the inside of the bladder. You're always feeling like you want to go, you know, we call it uh, those irritative symptoms. Um, and other times, because it's so swollen and it's compressing on the tube that passes through it, you then go. You cannot really shoot like we used to do as a child. You know, you can shoot over that wall, but now it's dribbling, you know, down to your feet. And also, when you get there, it doesn't flow easily. You have to wait for it to come through, uh, you know. Those are the symptoms that we cause, and some people... Because it's bleeding from the bladder. And when you have those symptoms, you need to see your GP. Next slide, please. Yeah, we just. Next slide. The other problem with, uh, you know, with prostate is uh, prostate cancer. 
the difference between prostate cancer and BPH is that if you see the way those purple things are, you can see they are not really, really compressing, you know, that tube that passed through. It's not compressing on it. It's not pushing in on the bladder so that you might not know that there's a problem with the prostate because it's not pressing on anything. It's just there on the outside, you know, of the cells and it's not causing any problem there. Some people, if, uh, what we normally say is, if at 50 years of age or after that is the first time you get back pain, you need to see your GP because it might be a sign that something is wrong with the prostate. If you start developing, you know, some of those symptoms also that I talked about earlier on, you know, quite late in life, you need to see the GP because it might be a sign of uh, prostate cancer. And then when you go to see the GP, next slide. Okay, next slide. Asymptomatic just means it might not show any problem. You might not notice anything, you know. But if you have all those symptoms are put on that side, sorry, this thing is not working and it's getting onto my head. Unexplained erectile dysfunction, hematuria, low back pain and bow pain, weight loss, any age with painful microscopic hematuria. Hematuria just means peeing blood. A man is not supposed to pee blood. You know, it's only women that do menstruation. Men don't do menstruation. So if any man should pee blood, don't think it's because you ate beetroot yesterday or anything. Just go and see your doctor if you pee blood. Greater than 40 years with the current UTI, a man is not supposed to get UTI because, you know, it just don't happen easily. You know, because we have um, a long dangling uh, urethra. Hematuria again, greater than 50 years old, unexplained hematuria, any age with any mass in the abdomen, kidney mass or anything, then you need to see your doctor. And when you see them, they will examine your back passage and they will also do your PCA, PSA, which is just prostatic specific antigen. Next slide, please. When they do the PSA, we get some values that are cut-off points to what is important. If you are aged between 40 to 49, if your PSA is more than 2.7, there might be a problem. It might just be BPH or depending on what value it is. And if you are 50 to 59, 60 to 69. The way I tell people to remember it is just remove two from your age. And then you are on the maximum. So if you are 49, if you take two out of it, you know, it will just be, it's supposed to be 29, but you put dot there, it will be 2.7. If you are 50, 59, you take two out of it, it will be 3, 39, dot is 3.9. If you are 69, that's close to 70. If you take two out of it, it's 5, 5.0. You know, that kind of a thing. If you have any value that's above that, then your doctor will be talking to you. And, uh, you know, 
they will be asking you some questions. Um, we have what is called IPSS call, you know, and they will ask you if you have to live the rest of your life with this problem, how will you feel? Some people will tell you, I will jump into River Thames. Then you know that person must not leave your office without being referred, you know, for management. Some people will tell you, eh, I can't be bothered. Uh, I'm happy. Then you can take your time with such a person. You know, but you have to ask that question. And then we use various medications, alpha blockers, 5-alpha reductase, and then we do some surgery. But the most important thing is if you have any of those symptoms we talked about earlier on, you need to see your doctors, and then they will start some treatments and some management. Um, next slide. Although um, I don't think we will have much time to talk about prostate cancer. But just to know that black men, although we don't go to the doctors and everything, they, for every man, we say the background risk of having prostate cancer is one in three. So one in three, you know, if you put three men down, one out of the three is supposed to be that, okay, we get can, uh, prostate cancer. But uh, one in eight, rather. But in black men, it's increased to one in three. So if you're a black man, when you put three black men down, one out of the three we get prostate cancer, but every human being, white, black, Chinese, and they, you know, one in eight risk. So that one out of eight men is with uh, prostate cancer, but black people, one out of three, we get prostate cancer. Family, if there is a family history of prostate cancer, that actually then increases the risk. So that you should not really play with it. Even if it's just to go to the doctor to say, okay, I just want to be tested to make sure I'm cleared. Please do it. You know. Okay. Um, next slide. Okay. Um, the previous one. Okay, let's go back to the previous slides. Okay. Yes, implications of some food, radiation, alcohol. Alcohol may not be conclusive. Yes, we got some foods and everyone, people blame fat. Fatty foods is implicated in you know, uh, development of prostate cancer. Red meat, they blame it for all the cancers, uh, you know. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's all there, you know. But I did put radiation, you know. Radiation is quite important also because of um, uh, what we call metaplasia of the cells. What radiation does is it, it changes the components of a cell. And it's, how should I put it? It causes the cell to start the, uh, dividing more rapidly. And when a cell divides more rapidly out of the control of the body, because the way the body is set up is that you have various chemicals in the body 
some that is called tumor suppressor factors, you know, which makes sure that all the cells obey the command of the body. They don't develop into tumor. They don't develop and they don't divide out. But what radiation does is that it then changes a lot of these controls in the system and increases the division of cells. And when cells are dividing rapidly, they go out of control of the body. And that's when, that's when cancer forms. And some cancer that forms without radiation, they've develop some clever stuff that makes them to be outside the control of the body and make sure that the body don't detect them that they are actually developing and dividing until it's too late you know there's quite a lot around cancer you know cancer development and cancer etiology that um I don't have that time to discuss it today, but anyone that wants uh, can stop me or any of the doctors and we can put you through, we can discuss uh, various, you know, uh, theories of what's happening uh, with food genetic modification because what happened then you get in, you know, uh, the coding, addition of coding of some extra G DNAs and RNA from outside into some cells and then they, they then present some things that the body cannot recognize and because the body cannot recognize it, the body might not be able to deal with it and it just keeps on doing what it likes and before you know it it's, uh, it's developed into uh, cancer. That's basically some of the things that happen. Alcohol but some people say it's not conclusive um, and there are quite a lot of things going on now in the prostate cancer world you know uh, some of them are still controversial. Some of them have been accepted. Two, three weeks ago, they came up with another one. Uh, before, we used to talk to people about uh, sex as one of the uh, causes of prostate cancer. Now they've said, okay, uh, even uh, increased testosterone is now protective of uh, prostate cancer. So if you are in a stable relationship, you know, uh, a proper... Uh, regular um, SI uh, will protect against prostate cancer, but we won't go to that. Next slide, please. I'll be finishing soon, I promise. Um, yeah, we've talked about those ones. Um, yeah, next, next slide. Okay. These are just this, uh, this is a slide about what would be the likely management of uh, prostate cancer when it's uh, discovered. And, um, you know, I would just say, although I put them there, the main thing I really want is to say it's a family thing as wives and partners need to know outlook and complications of management. It's a family thing. When it happens, it affects the whole family. And the wives and everybody have to, you know, be supportive and uh, they have to go through a lot with it. And the various management, watchful waiting, active surveillance, radical surgery, external beam radiotherapy, implants, ultrasound, many medications and all kind of things is being done because um, although prostate cancer might be slow going, but it can also be quite devastating. And some people, it might not actually be what's going to kill them, 
but it's what's going to affect their quality of life so much, you know, that um, they wish they, you know, they are dead. Okay. The next two slides um, is just a tester for something to be discussed, you know, one-on-one or in men's fellowship, erectile dysfunction. Um, and it just says, inability to attain and maintain erections sufficient for satisfactory sexual performance. And it's quite common, but it is not talked about. 52% of 40 to 70-year-olds. That's more than half of, if you put 10 men there, you know, almost six of them, we have some form of problem on that, but they're not going to talk about it. They will be struggling, the wife will be struggling, you know. The wife will not be happy, they will not be happy, but yet they don't want to talk about it. But we'll talk about it in men's fellowship one of these days. This is not the appropriate place. And the risk factors, we got lack of exercise, obesity, smoking, hypercholesterolemia, hypertension, which is broader diabetes. You know, they always work hand in hand, you know. Hypertension and diabetes, they are a dangerous combination and they work hand in hand. So, whatever you do, try to prevent, you know, them from happening. Diet, exercise, diet, exercise, diet, exercise, and you will be fine. Next slide. Okay. Speak up. There's nothing to hide. So many times, the first patient that will come to my surgery in the morning will be a man with erectile dysfunction. And we go, Doc, it's embarrassing, really. When a patient comes in and says, Doc, it's embarrassing, really, you know what they're going to talk about. So you just relax and make them feel comfortable. You say, you know what? Talk about it. You know? Because if you don't talk about it, you're just going to suffer in silence. And you don't have to suffer it. Because it might just be a simple advice of what you need to do that's going to change the management and going to change the life and make your marital life a much more blissful experience. Amen. Next slide. It's just a list of useful websites. You can check them out. You know, because information is available at the fingertip. You know, doctors don't have exclusivity to knowledge. Just because we spend six to eight years to study it, that's why we can link one or two things together. You know, you can come with me to with A, B, C, D, F, and I can tell you A, B, C plus D equals that one. The other person might not be able to tell you. But because I've studied about it, I can tell you what it is. That's what we are for. And we'll point you in the right direction or we'll give you an answer to your questions. Amen. I think I'll keep my mouth. Almost a thousand. And if you look at that time, man did not eat beef. God gave them vegetable only. But after Noah, God gave them the beef. Now, is, it, is beef wrong? Not at all. If you look at Deuteronomy, God began to speak about the ethics of beef. Like he said, you must not eat the beef with the blood therein. And we recognize that in those early days, 
most of their beef that they eat is roasted and they are well done. And when we began to eat beef that are half done and not well done, a lot of complications, which is contrary to the scripture. But I want to call your attention to these that, as he has said to you, if you are in any of these sicknesses, there are some few things that you were told that could really help you. Look at the book of Ezekiel. First of all, about, um, about chapter 47, verse 12 says, I read the King James Version. And by the river, upon the bank thereof, on this side and on that side, shall grow all trees, of, uh, all trees for meat. Meat means food. Trees. Then he went further to say, Whose leaf shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. In another word, finish. It shall bring forth new fruits according to his mouth, his month rather, because their waters, the issue out of the sanctuary, and the fruits thereof shall be for food or meat, and the leaves thereof for medicine. And most of these medicine drugs you take also have connotation all from leaves and herbs. Three major things spoken about here. Leaves, water, and the four. Leaves, water, the fruit, and the tree. So I want to say to you that eat well. Make sure that you are very choicy about what you eat. Take a lot more of raw vegetables. If you go into the internet today, you will find a lot of researches done by various medical council on wellness, where they advise about uh, Fruits that are complementary and fruits that are not. You can't just put every fruit together. You need to understand uh, complementary fruits so that what you are eating is not to your detriment. And it's better to eat more of plants, of vegetables, uh, you know, than most meal. Because the food that you need for your body, as we have been told, is very little. You don't eat because you have to eat. Eat only just to be satisfied. You may not eat to be full, but to be satisfied. But make sure what you eat, you eat sensibly and also in accordance with the word. Second key thing that is spoken about is in the book of Proverbs, chapter 17, verse 22. It says, a cheerful heart is a good medicine. A cheerful heart is a good medicine. There is a part of medical practice or science scientists that believe that most sicknesses have their roots and origin from the mental of man too. And if you develop your mind well, you could extinguish a good number of sicknesses that you have. You know, we recognize also by researches that when you frown your face, it has an adverse effect on your health. And also they recognize that a lot of laughter is medicinal. These things are in the Bible. A believer's mind must be very cheerful. A believer must be happy always. The Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, and again, and again, and again, I say, rejoice. Why should you not be happy? A believer should be happy every time. And if you are having a situation of downtown, which you, you shouldn't, you know, that shouldn't, that shouldn't overpower you, 
it is because uh, right, what you need to do to get out of it is to increase your Bible dose. If a believer reads the Bible very well and you have fellowship with God regularly, it is impossible for any downtown to affect your, your mentor. So those spiritual things that you have been told, make sure you, you practice them. Now I'll go to the book of 1 Corinthians 9, 25. It says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to gain a crown that will not last. But we do it to gain a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. And he went further to say, No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. We must know how to control our body. That is, subject our body to our heart, so that we just don't do what our body demands. We do what is right. Even those things may not be palatable to your body, but you make sure that you keep to what is right. Control yourself. The Bible calls that self-control. Finally, in the book of 1 Timothy 4.8, it says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both this present life and the life to come. The King James Version says, For bodily exercise profited little, and you need that little. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, which is physical life, and of that which is to come, which is, you know, after we are dead. If you can practice godliness, it solves all these problems. To be godly is to be healthy. To be godly is to be in control of your emotion. And anyone who practices godliness, they will seldom have sicknesses. If they do, it will be dealt with through godliness. And of course, a godly man must be a person who, who does exercises. You know, in Christian godly practice, we tell you to read the Bible regularly, isn't it? Study to show yourself approved workman. We tell you to pray regularly, isn't it? Prayer is an exercise. And of course, too, if you're a person who prays very, very well, you will be able to control your emotions. And we tell you to fast. In and out. And if you look at all these activities, they are so powerful as to sanitizing health. Purifying the body, filtering the body, and keeping you in balance. Uh, also, physical exercise. Somebody, I was, I was speaking with a minister who had diabetes and uh, high blood pressure. And when he had diabetes and high blood pressure, he, he was being treated by his doctor and they put him on a drug. And one day the doctor called him and said, look, Reverend, this drug we are giving you cannot heal you. I hope you, you got that clearly from when the doctor is speaking. The drug is just to help you to get out of the, the sickness. And the man said, how can I get out of the sickness? And he said to him, just like the doctor said, 
Start to do exercise 30 minutes a day. Alright? They have given him all the diet that he should be taking, which he has been keeping to. But he's on this drug. Because of the side effect of the drug, if you are placed on a drug for too long, any drug you are given really before you take it, ask your doctor what are the side effects. Let him tell you all the side effects so that you are fully educated about what you are entering into. And that doctor said to him that, look, if you can do exercise regularly, maintain it, 30 minutes every day, you will get out of it. And he said he started the exercise, 30 minutes, very religiously, every day. In two weeks, he did not need the high blood pressure medication. Less than two months, he was off from his high blood pressure medication and he was off from his diabetes medication. I can bring him here to come and speak to you. He lives just around the corner here. So, exercise, physical exercise profits the body. If you have been postponing exercise, procrastinating, get into it. Doctor reminded you that if you are coming from work, drop about two or three bus stops to your house and trek. And when you are walking, you know, brisk walk you call it. Is that what you call it, Doctor? That is walking like uh, Ogongo. Not, not just uh, walking warmly. No. One, two, one. I have some of the youths in this church which I'm pleased with. One of them works in, um, he's a medical doctor. He works in the King's Hospital. And what he does is that he goes to, to office every day by public transport. And he has his jogging bottom and everything. When he finishes his job as a medical doctor, he puts on his jogging button and boots and he runs to New Cross. He will run. How did I come to know? One day I came to church and I saw him running. Ah, where are you coming from, brother? He said, oh, dad, I, this is what I do all the time. I go to office after my practice. I just get into my joggings and I run down to New Cross from King's Cross. Then I have another uh, sister who also works at Waterloo. And she also has started walking from Waterloo home rather than running. These are things you can do. If you think you cannot go to the gym, you can walk half to get to your home. Get down and walk. Trek. Trek. And so if you keep these things in your heart and you do them, you will prevent most of these threatening diseases. Not only that, if you are in it, you can get out of it. Have this in your mind that you will not be on drug for life. Because when drug is given to you for life, it shortens your life eventually. Because of the side effects. But if you, can, if you are given drug to control you, if you get yourself into proper eating habits and exercising regularly, your doctor will reduce it and then it will get you out of it. Doctors don't want anyone to be on drug for life, isn't it? Because of the side effects. So, Take this home today. Godliness, a good practice, multi-medicinal practice, exercise necessary for your body, and of course, a merry heart is a medicine. Shall we put our hands together for the Lord? Who is taking over from me? God bless you. Let me say this. All the leaders who are here,